This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. It was on the boat in St. John when we had the conversation about, you know, she asked me very directly, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted? <laughs> because you're stuck on a boat. It's like why I have small talk, you know, and, and that's when I first breathed the idea of, I want to give away this thing that I do. I, I want to take people on outdoor trips for free. And, and she just looked at me and she's like, well, let's do that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did, we penciled out the nonprofit dog smile adventures was born that day, sitting on the boat. We started making phone calls. This episode comes to you from three years of sobriety and a magic sailboat in Idaho. This is the third and final episode in this cluster about river guides and their health. In the first two episodes, you have heard about one man's story of guiding rivers in Idaho and guiding sailing charters in the Caribbean, as he called it, the endless summer, and then how that all came undone. This last episode is John's story of again becoming a guide this time a sail guide on the largest lake in Idaho, and his clients are people who likely would not ever go sailing if it were not for John's new organization. John explains it in this episode. Last week, while in the final stages of building these episodes, I got on a call with John to check in. Jenny and I originally interviewed John early in September. Between those interviews and my call with John, he celebrated his third year anniversary of having sobriety, he did so deep in the mountains of Idaho with a handful of dear friends at their fall hunting camp. He said it was a simple and powerful celebration and that he is feeling great about it. We begin with John telling about his life today and his new guiding outfit, Dog Smile Adventures. Here is John Totten. Right on. Dog Smile Adventures is a therapeutic sailing program. And the what's happening is... is uh, we're going sailing with a healing intention. That's, that is, uh, that is the main focus. Uh, I've spent the rest of my career either taking people on vacation or teaching them how to do something. So the intention was escape to the wilderness or, uh, or learn a skill in the great outdoors. And if healing happened on those trips, it was always a bonus. It was icing and it happened often but it was never the intention. And so that is what I'm focused on now is I'm just saying we are going sailing so we can feel better, everybody. And within that mission, I have a, you know, two-sided business model uh, that I learned on the river. And I think it's important to, to mention this, the, the orange torpedoes, anybody who's worked on the lower salmon knows the program and it, you'd see this string of orange duckies, uh, all over the place, massive yard sales, not experienced kayakers and a couple of gear boaters and a couple of safety kayakers. And I met these people and they run a commercial river program where people pay for commercial river trips and part of those profits go to give free river trips to youth at risk. And that always inspired me. And so I've taken that business model, that idea of those who can pay will pay and I will take some of that money and I will take people sailing who would not be sailing otherwise. 
So I sell private lessons. I sell sunset sailing. I sell experiences to the general public, tourists, people who want to go do that. Um, and then I give them away. I give trips to under-resourced populations uh, in our community. So I work with uh, I work with people with special needs. I work with veterans. I work with alcoholics and drug addicts. They're right up my alley. Um, I work with a women's shelter that is a safe house for ladies who've been sex trafficked. Um, I work with foster kids. I'm got my sights on juvenile corrections right now. That's my next uh, group that I really want to crack into. Um, so I, I offer sailing experiences to, to all those different populations. I, I think that therapeutic sailing should be available to anybody who thinks going sailing will make them feel better. Um, so that's what I do. I, I sell trips and then I give trips away and I sail every day. <laughs> right now. Nissan has a lot of trucks and cars to choose from. Today we're going to look at their newly updated Frontier midsize truck and in the middle of this episode we're going to talk about their fully electric vehicles. The Nissan Frontier, this is a midsize four-wheel drive truck. It has a new look for 2022. Check it out. It's pretty sharp looking. This Nissan Frontier comes in two styles. They have the crew cab with four doors and a short or a long bed or they have the king cab model with a long bed. What is important to me in a truck is how much weight it can carry and pull. And what I really mean is, can the truck get me and a stack of riverboats and my river friends to the boat ramp? Does it drive and feel safe? And can it keep those speeds steady when we're driving uphill with all that load? That's my criteria. This new Nissan Frontier has a six-cylinder, 310-horsepower engine with a nine-speed transmission. That's providing a lot of power and a lot of smooth shifting of gears. And this truck can carry about 12 to 1600 pounds in the truck and it can pull a trailer with about 6200 pounds of total weight. In riverboat terms, that is several boats and frames and boxes and coolers, all your dry bags and your water jugs that are full, and yes, even your friends or my friends, maybe all of them. Check out your Denver area Nissan dealers in person and online at www.nissanusa.com tell them the river radius podcast sent you i'm just finishing up season two in operations you know the goal of year one was just to have a year two at all and we pulled that off and now year two is nearly in the books and it's been incredible um and i'm feeling pretty confident there's going to be a year three and so you know the show goes on and um, it is an immense source of pride for me. I've, I've never been more proud of anything I've ever done in my life. Not, not even close, to be honest. There isn't even a second place um, that this is my idea. This is, this is my way. And, you know, I, I, I have had the distinct pleasure to work for some incredible people in my career the outfitters that I've worked for, the bosses I've had, my dad. Um, and they're always deep down in my heart. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to be that guy that ran the show. I wanted to create something with my name on it that 
we're going to try it my way. It felt like the ultimate evolution of the scene for me as I watched a lot of my colleagues pass through the field. They guide for a little while and then they move on, right? And I just kept guiding and because I loved it so much. And, and in my head, the ultimate progression was not to leave the business. It was to own the business, was to do it, do it my way. And it, it took a long time for me to figure out what my way was. And, and then my hand was forced by a lot of circumstances a couple of years ago, and I got pushed hard enough to go for it. And, um, and now, yeah, here we are. So that's, uh, that's dog smile. I know you can't speak for an experience for, for somebody that you take out, um, on one of these therapeutic sailing adventures, but maybe what is an experience that you've witnessed from, from somebody that's been on one of your trips? Um, well, so many I've been, I've been super lucky the last two seasons. I've been out a lot. I've taken, you know, probably 400 people sailing and, um, you know, one that comes to mind immediately is the parents of the children with special needs have really impacted me this year. In my first year, it was the children themselves watching the kids with autism or Down syndrome, the way they reacted to the boat, like really blew my hair back. This year, I've really tuned into the parents and watching, you know, I had a mother this year tell me that my boat was magic. She's like, I, she had tears in her eyes and she's like, I've never seen my child look like that or act that way. Wow. And there, she's like, there's something about this boat. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. Um, and seeing, you know, the father of these special needs kids who has a life that is harder than I just, I have no idea. I can't even imagine how difficult that dude's day to day is. And I see him get on the boat and he settles in and he deflates. He relaxes for a moment because his kids love to sail and the hardship that it took to even get them to the marina this morning on time is more difficult than any day I've probably ever had to do ever, you know, and, and this guy does that every day and to see the relief on, on his face when he gets on board, that's what gets me out of bed right now. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, I had veterans on the boat this summer from, I had, I had two 70 something year old Vietnam vets uh, being being carried arm in arm to get over the lifeline to even get on the boat, get these old dudes by two Afghanistan veterans who are in their 20s and seeing these guys are like instant bros, automatically friends. And all I, I, I a big part of why this works is community, you know, and, and, and watching those guys sharing stories about their experiences and bonding on the sailboat as we all, you know, sail together. Um, I could go on and on, so I, I'll stop. Um, but it's, uh, the point is that I've, I'm getting to see people heal on the boat. And that's all I want. This is a river podcast. <laughs> we started <laughs> off with some river questions and river topics. And, uh, you know, and I knew that the story would drift and that's kind of the point of it. I'm curious today, you still live in Idaho 
in my mind, one of the great places to have rivers and river trips. Do you still have a relationship with rivers up in Idaho or anywhere? Do you still have a relationship with rivers? For sure. Um, you know, the, this whole journey started on the river, you know, and, uh, as corny as it may sound, like all those rivers end up in the sea and so did I, I'm never going to stop going back to the river. I, uh, I still paddle my kayak a handful of days a year in the spring. I'm nowhere near the boater I used to be, but I have a great time with it. Um, and I've been very fortunate. I'm like the old guy now in the group and it's fun. You know, it's fun to be that guy. Um, and I did a, uh, I did a private lower salmon trip two weeks ago with my nephew from Wisconsin, who's 10 years old and a bunch of my old river pals and their kids. And we ran a dry river trip, which was a new experience for everybody uh, uh, there, except for the kids, obviously, who'd, who'd never been on a river trip at all, for the most part. And so I, I, I will never stop going back. Um, I look forward to the day when I have time in the summer to go guest guide on the middle fork again, I will go back to work out there. I cannot wait. Um, right now I, I, I don't have time, but I've been assured by my good friends who I will forever be indebted to for all that experience and love and time that, that I've got a spot there. I love the river and, and I will, I will go back to the river until I'm dead. It's just, it's very much a part of my life. Let's talk about the river guiding world. And and I think also just kind of guiding in general. With river guiding, you know, it took me it took me a while personally to realize that there is a is a kind of a couple different kinds of the guide the guide work. There's the work that can be day trips, lots of back-to-backs on the day runs, there can be maybe maybe some overnighters um in a summer but a lot of day work and there can be the guides that work for a few summers and move on. And I think that's a lot. I, I kind of was personally was in the middle of that. I did it for a bunch of summers, but then moved on um, doing some longer trips. But I did not go down the other place, which is is the long term, really stretching out the years and doing six, seven, eight, nine years, getting into 10 years and then getting into the, the career guiding, which I have friends who are in their 60s and 70s and still guiding, you know, hundreds, several hundreds of trips on on, on particular stretches of rivers that are two week long trips and that career guiding is different than the day guiding. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also some differences. Can you help me us understand the life pressures that then begin to influence the guiding life? Because, because it, it looks like, I think, I think I saw that. I feel like maybe you saw that too in your early descriptions of like what that guide looked like. I think that the guide world can look so perfect and so kind of immaculate and this place that, that a lot of people want to go. And it is that it can definitely be that. And there's things that can be really hard and they can push the, the guide off the, off the good tracks. Can you, can you talk us through some of that? Like just some of those like key things that make it, that help the outside viewer understand when and where it is not so perfect. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. Sam, um, but, but, uh, you know, I've been guiding in one way, shape or form for 24 years. So I'm getting into the 
upper level, I guess, of years in the business in one, you know, um, even though, you know, half of that time was in uh, campus recreation, which is slightly different, but it's still lots of trips. Um, but I will say from what I observed in the, specifically in the commercial guide world, uh, full time was, you know, there's a lot of young folks that are passing through for sure that they'll come and guide for a couple of years while they're in college, learning something else. Right. Um, and they're awesome and are, are working on different, different, different degree tracks and so on. And they're going to come and go. And then there's those of us who aren't that we're going to keep on rolling. We just, we're going to keep doing it and work seasonally in some other capacity, whether it's fire or skiing or, uh, something else in, in the, in the other seasons. And there, there is a difference, you know, the, the, it's not a, a summer vacation for those of us that are in it for the long haul anymore. It's, it's, let's get on with it and let's make money and let's do a good job and maintain our career in, in, in guiding. And, um, and I love that. I am very proud that I'm a member and that I'm still going and I don't have any intention of doing anything else, uh, at this, at this point. Um, and the, you know, the, the glorification from the outside looking in is well-earned because like you said, it's pretty great. You know, when it, when it's good, it's so good. Um, and, and I, I can't discount that, you know, there's, it's just, there's so much positive in the guiding world. There are people who I worked with. I've never had bonds with coworkers like I do down the river. No way. You get so close and you just have each other's backs and and lean on each other at a level that I have not experienced in any other context. Um, and I love that. And uh, but there, yeah, there there is there's hard parts about it. You know, the the reality is is that there's very little health insurance. There's no retirement plans. There's no. Uh, benefits, I guess, is what you'd kind of call them, right, in many other industries. And so you don't have access to those resources. So you don't learn how to invest your money or save. You don't learn how to, when to get your teeth cleaned, <laughs> you know, and all these, all these things. And, and you certainly don't have access to mental health, you know, a therapeutic program or anything like that. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't exist um, because the industry isn't built on that. You know, the, the 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 business model for the outfitter does not include a benefit package. If it did, it would sink the ship. Period. Like I don't I don't know. The outfitters I met were not getting rich outfitting. They were paying what they can to make this thing happen, and that's the truth. And I know that the reality of the industry right now is that there aren't many benefits. And so therein lies the problem for the guide, I think. You don't have access to the services and so that none of that stuff gets done. And then when something does happen, you're up at creek, right? You, you know, you don't have coverage or the know-how or the access to services that you need when something happens. And so folks can end up in, in shitty situations. You know, I think about, I agree with you, John, in, t in terms of 
the depletion that happens from a guiding perspective, whether it's it's river guiding or I think about ski patrol. I mean, I think about all these these careers where it's like you're doing the same thing over and over and over, engaging with customers, you know, participants, whatever it might be. So I think about for myself, like as a private boater, you know, I go to the river to escape the depletion of my job. And so I, you know, I think about the river as a release for me, as connection again. That's the real essence, I think, though, of what those who have never guided just won't know is Mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody is coming to us to go on vacation for an escape. And we're there. It's not a vacation for us. It's the gig. And so it is, it will never be the same. It's so different. It's such a different perspective. And that the, the problem for me was it was hard to not be on vacation <laughs> with these people, you know, they're, they're there to party and release and have a, let it, let it all hang out for a few days. And so you do that with them and they love you for it. And they give you a wad of cash at the end of the week and hug and kiss. And, Oh my God, this was amazing. And they go home and you go right back to the put in and do it again. And again, and again, you know, the, the discipline that it takes to not be on, you know, not vacay with these people, not party with them because they don't have to get up and haul all the bags back down the beach. They don't have lives in their hands all day. They don't have to tie flies on for this person who's really kind, but sucks at fly fishing. Like you, They don't have to do that. You know, they don't have to cook for eight hours a day. You know, they, they don't have to. They're just sitting in the chair and enjoying it and partying. And 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 it's just, it, it, there's no way to understand that job until you've done it. There just isn't. Um, and, that, and that, I think, is, is the root of it, is that people come to you, they come to us to go to the river to escape their day-to-day, but that's our day-to-day that place and that thing. And, and it's, it's, it's not the same. So John, I heard you say I'm on the sailboat for a hundred days, 99 out of a hundred days. It's me. And, and I think about that, you know, what you were talking about um, previously, it's like, I'm, I, you know, I'd party at night and then I'd get up in the morning and I would just like be there at 5 AM and I'm ready to push hard. And and I'm curious, what's the difference now, you know, those 100 days straight? And like, how how are you working with that to where you don't fall into that depletion, to where you don't start down that yellow or like go to the red? What are your indicators now? Yeah, it's, it's so different. The key for me is discipline. Um I have a daily meditation and yoga practice that if I don't do it, I notice. I notice my attention drift. I notice my attitude uh, becoming more reactive. Um, And all those things happen with fatigue anyway. 
and so if I don't do that morning practice, I, I, I can tell. I also, I've taken my diet a lot more seriously. I put on a bunch of weight when I got sober and it, it's taken me a while to get that back like under control. And so I'm focused on eating good food and I'm focused on getting rest. Um, but the reality is, is that my worst day right now is still so much better <laughs> than I was for a long time, especially those last couple years. Uh, you know, that's just the truth. I'm, I'm so much better at the job now than I was before. And so even though there are days when I, I'm not as good as I could have been, and I, I know that, I'm still doing pretty good. We're going to step away from John's story for a few minutes so Jenny and I can explain some of the organizations that support river guides in their professional work. And after this, we will get back with John where he will explain his role with these organizations. Here are Jenny and I discussing this topic. There are two organizations that we talk about in this episode. One we talk about a lot more, which is the Redside Foundation, and that's because John Totten, our guest, is a board member of the Redside Foundation, and also because, Jenny, you have more experience with them. The second organization is the Whale Foundation. Redside is based up in... It, it's based in Idaho, yeah. So the Redside Foundation is based out of Idaho and has developed chapters in Montana and Wyoming. And the Whale Foundation is based out of Flagstaff, Arizona, and is focused exclusively on supporting the professional commercial river guides of the Grand Canyon. Mission statement of the Whale Foundation. The Whale Foundation was created in honor of Curtis Whale Hansen to provide confidential access to mental and physical health care professionals and a network of supportive services designed to restore, promote, and celebrate the well-being of the Grand Canyon river guiding community. And then Redside... Redside's mission is to support the health and strength of the professional guiding community, currently supporting the guides of Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. So I'm going to just do some numbers really quick. I'm going to talk about Whale first. So Whale, they have a helpline, uh, not a hotline, but a helpline. Both of these organizations have helplines, not hotlines, which I think in the interview with John, I called them a hotline. So these are phone numbers that you can call and either talk to a person live if they answer or leave a message and you'll get a call back. They, they both have said pretty quick. Whale Foundation in 2021 had 285 client counseling sessions amongst 49 clients, and they have 13 active counselors. And that was broke right down the middle between males and females. The age range was between 18 and 54 and then Redside Foundation, they're telling us that they have their guide helpline is available 24-7. They're going to respond within, they say, within 48 hours. They offer physical health care, blood work, immunizations, skin cancer checks. They have health care vouchers for certain clinics in Idaho. They do scholarships for people going to the University of Idaho or people going to a college or university outside of Idaho, uh, even a trade school. And they offer those similar scholarships in Montana and Wyoming. They also provide professional development grants for guides who are looking to gain some new skills or certifications, for instance, like a switchwater rescue or a wilderness first responder. And Redside is telling me 
that they, in 2022, this year, they've awarded five scholarships, 12 professional development grants. They've seen 24 guides take full advantage of their annual health fair. They've given away five IUDs, hosted a community resilience model training for guides, gave their guide liaisons the opportunity to get a resiliency certification through the Responder Alliance so they can be better leaders in the guide communities. The Responder Alliance is what, Jenny, what you've talked about that uh, is kind of home of the, the stress continuum. And then 100 guides have utilized the guide helpline. That's the data I have. I was going to speak to two other organizations, and, and I, I want to, again, speak to the Responder Alliance. You know, they're doing really good work around creating a language to be able to help people understand their emotional reactivity in their jobs, specifically outdoor jobs. Check out the Responder Alliance website. They're doing great work. And then I also want to speak to SOAR, Survivors of Outdoor Adventure and Recovery. Essentially, Star Jameson started this, and she was in an avalanche, I think, over 10 years ago. And she recognized the hardship of finding mental health care to help her navigate that process. And so she started SOAR to help survivors get connected to therapists and healing professionals. But she also wants to create, similar to Mountain Muskox up in Canada, she wants to create more community around healing rather than having people be isolated in therapy rooms to heal. So teaching community how to help be healthy advocates for survivors. And then another piece that she's really wanting to do, which I really appreciate, is to train therapists to get best practices around working with outdoor trauma. Because a lot of folks that I talk to, they're like, you know, I went to a therapist to talk about my boating accident, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand the culture. Or avalanche survivor, it's like I felt shamed in the therapy room for going out there even. And so trying to create better practices for therapists and counselors and social workers that are doing the healing work. She's creating a cohort of therapists to like work for Redside or Well Foundation or A3. So all great organizations doing great work. And I think that the bridge is finally happening between all of these organizations to create greater help out there for the guiding cultures. That is the short info set from Jenny and I about the Whale Foundation, the Red Side Foundation, the Responder Alliance, and SOAR. You can find links for all of those organizations in today's episode notes. I've heard from many active professional guides about the value all of these organizations bring to their work as guides. And last winter, I attended the Whale Foundation's winter fundraiser in Flagstaff, Arizona, the Wing Ding. And I was so impressed by the professional nature of the organization and by the really strong turnout of the event. So, back to our conversation with John, where he starts off by telling us his understanding of Redside and his role there. Redside is an organization that supports the health and strength of the professional outdoor guiding community. And, you know, back in 2010, it was launched by some really close friends of mine. And I've always been connected to it, but had never been, like, directly involved. Um, and... Now that I wasn't guiding and had no intention of river guiding full-time um, anymore, I felt this overwhelming desire, though, to be someone and try to help and do what I can. So I joined the board of directors of Redside and and um, and helping to do that work, you know. And, and, you know, Redside is really three things. It's to provide health, you know, health care to the guiding community through the helpline, health services, community building, training, education, things like that. Um, 
it's to promote guiding as a premier profession that it's something that you can do for a long time if you if you choose to and then also uh, to support guides beyond guiding to help folks with college or professional training or transitioning into other careers and, and things like that and so you know through those three things um, we support the community and it's uh, I've had some just delightful conversations with guides in the last two years who have connected with me either through knowing me on the river before and reaching back out and be like, Hey man, I heard you got sober. I've been thinking about that. Can we talk, you know? Um, and, and then at, at a higher level, trying to figure out how, to support more guides in more states and and being a part of this organizational growth that is happening with Redside right now and so and everywhere in between. Um and I, I just I'm so honored to be a part of it. I really am. I I fly that flag with a with my head held high because we are doing good things. And and as and I, I know that if you listen to my story, it can feel like it's sad and that, oh, it's really hard to be a guide and here's this guy who wound up an alcoholic and blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's so awesome. And, and, and we are working tirelessly to shift the culture in a healthy direction. And we're doing it every day. So, like, you know, I associate Red Side with like North Country voting and in the guide world there and then whale with grand canyon services colorado plateau do you know if there are other similar organizations in the the west the west coast and then also east coast and i just wonder if there is a similar kind of um, support foundation network that serves the guides there because i I mean I, i can't imagine that there's not a need uh the answer, Sam, is not to my knowledge. I don't think so. We are called by guides from other states every day. Um, so I, you know, Red Side began in Idaho and has since expanded to Montana and very recently Wyoming. So we have chapters in those states. And right now, the vision that I would say from the board is that this thing's going to go every state where any guiding happens in the you know foreseeable future i don't think it's that far away to be honest we are trying to navigate that organizational growth which is difficult um but the reality is, is that the need is everywhere that there are guides which is probably every state in some capacity right i don't know um because it's um it's important i think that we let people know that Red Side doesn't just support river guides. There, you know, the Idaho river guiding community is really large and, and substantial, and that's where a lot of us have our roots. But the fact is that we support anyone who's leading anyone outside. So if you're a professional guide of any kind, then our services are available to you, uh, not just river guides. And so that would mean that you could be a mountain biking guide or a hiking guide somewhere in the Midwest right? You could be a fishing guide or a hunting guide or whatever, alpine. It doesn't matter. Um, you could be the only professional sailor in Idaho. 
and you, you still get you still get uh, access to those services. So um, it it doesn't matter. But I I I don't know of another organization that that does what we do. I hope there are, but I'm not aware of it. Nissan has been building fully electric vehicles for 12 years and has over 5 billion miles on this fleet as a testament to their efficacy. That is billion with a B. Nissan has two electric vehicles to choose from. That is the Leaf and the new Aria. Both of these electric vehicles can handle most day runs on the river. You can put your friends in the car with you. You can have your boats loaded on the roof or in the hatch. You can throw a bike on a bike rack and run your own shuttle. The Nissan Leaf for 2022 has a range between 150 and 225 miles. This is a smaller car with four doors and a hatchback. You can easily add a roof rack system. You can also fold the seats down for inside cargo space. The second vehicle from Nissan is the new Aria. This will be available in the fall of 2022 and you can reserve this car now. This is a slick looking four-door SUV, has lots of comfortable features and a range up to 300 miles, and they even have an all-wheel drive model. Again, you can reserve that Nissan Aria now. Check out your Denver area Nissan dealers in person and online at www.nissanusa.com. Tell them the River Radius Podcast sent you. couple of questions in there if um if if someone listening wants to start a chapter in their state can they holler i mean i'm assuming they can just give a holler to red side and start that conversation yep yep it's um we are working right now to develop a process for that that uh you know it would be great if we could respond with a uh step by step guide here's how to start a chapter mm-hmm. uh still working on that but it's close. It's coming. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a conversation with a group of mountain guides from Washington state this year that are super driven to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, we're going to get to work. We're going to figure this out. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we will create a chapter. It's going to happen because people are driven and, and the need is there. So um, yeah, people reach out and we'll start the conversation. And that's all I can guarantee right now. Is there is there any resistance to the work Redside's doing amongst any of the guide community or even any of the outfitting any of the outfitters? Um, you know, it's a long game, but the answer is yes. Um, you know, there were there was definitely some pushback from outfitters, you know, why are you telling our guides why are you telling people that all the guides have a drinking problem? And why are you, you know, sharing the story? Is this some kind of guides union? And and that's, and the answer is no. Uh, but you know, change is hard, and especially cultural change. And you know, we we pushed into that. We sat with it, and and explained to them that this is about uh, perpetuating the the industry. <laughs> that that we're our intention is the same as the outfitter, which is to provide a professional opportunity for people. But the, the truth is, is that, um, they, they need help. They need some healthcare. They need these services. And so we're providing that to them. We're not trying to talk people out of guiding. In fact, we're trying to talk people into guiding We're we're going to, we're going to make this work for you as long as possible. We have resources, but we can also help you if, and when you decide that you're done and that's okay too. And so, yes, there was some pushback. Um, but we're sharing the story right now and, we're telling the truth, which I think 
doesn't matter how people feel if it's the truth. Um, and, and that's important. The question I have is thinking about it from, you know, a mental health practitioner or even a healthcare practitioner that might be interested in donating services or working with Redside is, um, is there a way to contact Redside or what's, what's the best way for these practitioners to get a hold of you? Right through the website. Yep. Okay. Just the, the info email will get you there and um, you'll get connected with our uh, director of therapy and likely be put to work. Uh, I've one, one of my best friends is a, is a therapist here in Sandpoint and we did just that this spring and it was so cool. He would, I told him about it and he was like, well, how do you do that? I said, well, there's this network of therapists and the case manager finds one and you know, and they figure out how to connect the funds and, and you get paid for your time and, and you get to provide mental health care for a guide who needs it. And, and he's doing that. He was just telling me, he's like, oh, I got three guides right now and I can love helping those people. And, and so he's getting a lot out of it and, and the community is getting a lot out of it as well. So yeah, we, we're always need more and there's a great opportunity to be a part of it as a mental health provider, if you're interested. John, I want to go back to a, 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 a there's a there's a thing I've been thinking about and I and I have it written down is is the brilliance of friends. And I think about the dude who collar grabbed you and said we're we're something's changing. Whatever he said, whatever he said. I think about the 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 people who might be listening to this who have friends who need the door kicked in. They are the person who might be the one that needs to go grab the collar of their friend. I'm I'm curious what you might. I'm curious what you can say about how that 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 friend did what they did to you. Like how did they do, like? I think that's one of the scariest things. Is like when do I go in and grab my friend's collar and say, "What the fuck are you doing? It's time. You're coming this way." Like how does that? How does that happen? And just then the value of that characteristic for that friend to come busting in on your door. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a tough one, Sam, because my personal opinion is that the friend is wasting their time until the doors cracked open. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. And I, I wish that wasn't the truth, but in my experience, intervention doesn't work until, until I was, until I gave someone the opportunity, there was no way that I was going to admit to anybody that I was going to quit or that I, I had a problem or that it wasn't going to happen, even though I knew it for a long time until I gave them the opportunity, I don't believe that anything would have worked. And there were people who tried, there were people who sat me down and said, you know, you got to stop, you got to, you got to do this. And I just didn't listen because I was terrified. I was, and I was combative at that point, like F you, I'm out. Um, you know, so I don't think that that friend can do much until they're given the opportunity. What I would say though, is if you are that person who is watching your friend circle the drain, if you are the, the observer of the addict is 
hold them close, be near them as near as you can stand and watch for the door to crack open. And if it does, seize the moment, act. If they give you a glimmer of vulnerability, if they give you a the slightest wink in their eye that they might be asking for help, steamroll, now, act, do it. And that's what happened to me. That friend had the guts in that moment to make a big play. And he didn't know how I was going to respond, but he knew that there was an opportunity that had never been presented to him before or anyone else. And that opportunity was me looking him at the eye and say, I have a problem and I'm scared. And that was the moment he grabbed me by the shirt and was like, let's go. We're handling it right now. John, thanks for coming on. A very, very deep thank you. I appreciate your time and your energy on this. And I look forward to building to building these episodes into into a story. I'm just just in awe of your journey, in awe of the the courage that it took to take each step every day. And I'm really in awe that you're sharing this story with all these folks out here that need to hear it too. So thank you. It's a real pleasure to get a chance to share it. It makes it all worth it. You know, it makes it all worth it. If I can help one person, if somebody hears this, that's Mm -hmm. struggling and it somehow is the difference between them trying and not, then it was worth all of it. That's the motivator for me. And, and I'm super grateful to, to you guys for having this conversation with me and, and being open and, and interested in, in my journey and giving me a chance to share. A dog smile thank you goes out to John Totten for trusting the River Radius with his story and all of its grit. Today's sponsor is the Denver and Front Range of Colorado Nissan dealerships. Find them on the web at www.nissanusa.com and also on Instagram. You can find a dealer locator link on their website. In today's episode notes, you can find links to various organizations that can provide support if you or someone you know is looking for support related to mental health for River Guides. This includes the Redside Foundation and the Whale Foundation. And to be clear, in the interview we called the phone line a hotline. It is not a hotline, but a helpline. Redside will return all calls within 48 hours, and the Whale Foundation will return calls as soon as possible. An additional thank you goes out to Jenny Feebig for joining me to co-host these episodes. You can reach Jenny through her website, that is jennyfeebig.com, www.jennyfeebig. All of our music is created and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. I feel so much more authentic. I feel like I'm a better friend and family member than I've ever been as a grown man now. The point is that I'm getting to see people heal on the boat. And that's all I want. Can we pause for 30, just two seconds so I can turn the light on? It's gotten super dark. I just talked a lot.